Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Cheryl Cassone, who is the uh, anchor at uh, Fox Business Network, and she's also the author of a book called The Comeback, How Today's Moms Re-Enter the Workplace Successfully. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Thank you. All right. Now, we're going to have to start with one thing, though, Jordan. Yes. It's it's Cassoni. Cassoni. we got to get that right. <laughs> Absolutely. Cassoni. we got to okay. get that right. It has, so, been, it has been mispronounced for 40 years, so we're well, good. That's good. I'm, I'm <laughs> right along this, the regular pattern there. So speaking of that, let's. I don't want the entire 40 years, but just give us a brief introduction to everybody who's not familiar with you and, and kind of your journalistic path and how you got to where you are now. Sure, sure. I grew up in Texas, Dallas, uh, Dallas native, and then Phoenix, Arizona as well. Um, you know, went out to school in Arizona. Graduated from college with a communications degree, but I didn't want to grow up, so I was a flight attendant at Southwest for the first six years after my college graduation. And then when I decided I was ready to go out to grow up and actually do my chosen profession, which was journalism, uh, I interned for CBS News in San Francisco. And from there, I was given one job that led to another job, and I ended up doing local news in San Francisco and then got the big call from New York to come to MSNBC, actually, back in 2004. And then after a brief stint at CNN, where I met our good friend Jerry Willis, a mutual friend of ours, um, I came to Fox, and Fox was launching a uh, business network, and they basically stole me away from CNN because they knew that they needed to staff up and get ready. And I was actually the second hire for the Fox Business Network. I was number two. Um, and we launched it. It was a great experience. It was wonderful. And that was 2007. So it's been a, been a so been, crazy ride. At the very beginning of Fox Business all the way for their entire life history then. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming up on a, or we just passed, I guess, I'm sorry, our, our anniversary. It's been, it's been crazy. It's been great though. It's been great. Or actually, no, I'm telling you, this, this year the Business Network turns 10. This is my 11th year with the Fox group with Fox News and Fox Business. But um, what a time to be in business news, you know? I mean, we've done a lot. <laughs> There's been a lot happening. So, so just kind of talk a little bit about that and how you, Fox Business has got itself established in as a place to go for business news, uh, you know, compared to CNBC and what CNN used to do. How do you see it in the uh, kind of media environment these days? What it's, what's its well, place? Well, I think that when we started, you know, see people were already angry at Wall Street. When the recession hit, the, the Great Recession, the financial crisis, I mean, talk about hating Wall Street and CEOs and traders and investors. And that was kind of the, the bread and butter audience for CNBC and for Bloomberg, our competitors. And so we kind of knew that and understood that. And, um, you know, we kind of followed the leadership of Neil Cavuto, who's who's our, uh, you know, our, our guru, if you will. And he, he kind of let, you know, let all of us down the path of let's, be there for our viewers, for real people, real Americans, you know, forget the Wall Street traders, forget the, you know, the, the sharks, whatever, just, you know, help our viewers navigate what is going to be a rough ride. And it was. And, um, and we, we started to really catch on, I think, and kind of started to build over the years. And then this, in the past two years, really, especially since Maria Bartiromo joined us, and I'm on her show every day, and she's wonderful, just an amazing person and so smart. She interviewed uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin actually this morning on the show. Um, 
you know, she joined us and it just really gave us, I think, that final kind of bang that we needed to really just take off as a, a business network and really become a major player. And now we're beating CNBC in the ratings because we we don't cater to, you know, the, the, the man in front of his Bloomberg terminal or the, you know, we don't do we don't do that. We know that there's a new way to approach um, business news and broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So how is your audience different from the CNBC audience? Well, I think that our audience is more, um, you know, it's more small business owners. It's more, um, we've got a lot more ranchers and farmers. We've got a lot of people that are um, at, that are retired, that are really just trying to manage their retirement, try to manage their taxes. We talk a lot more about, you know, not just, it's not just personal finance, but we really talk about that intersection of politics and business and money. And all of it is intertwined. I mean, everything that the U.S. government does, whether it's a new piece of regulation or it's trying to reform the tax code or, you know, any of that, you know, we're, we're on that. We're all over it because we know that that's going to affect the average American and they care about it. You know, when President so. Trump comes yeah. out, when, when President Trump comes out with a tax plan, you know, they care. Yes, they do. Very. Right. We're going to get to a lot of those issues a little bit later. We want to start with your book a little bit, which I guess you came out with about a year ago, uh, called The Comeback, helping pe- people who've taken time off to have children and stay at home to come back into the workforce. What was the impetus behind doing that book? Well, it's kind. Of, it's a. I think it's a pretty good story. So I um, basically the book is called The Comeback and and how today's moms successfully reenter the workforce. And the premise was is I had been on doing segments actually on Fox and Friends for years, um, getting you hired, hired exclamation mark. They're really fun segments. And, you know, it's when, when the financial crisis hit and unemployment was sitting at 10%, we saw a need, myself and the producers, that we wanted to, help, again, help our viewers, help people who's hiring, what can I make there? Do I need a college degree? You know, companies that, you know, because it, it was so hard to find work for so many Americans back then. This is 08, 09. And, um, and so we started these weekly segments, top five companies that are hiring. And it just grew from there because, it, you know, the, the viewers responded really in a positive way because they thought, thank you so much for helping me and reaching out to me. And, you know, so I got resumes left and right. I've become a resume expert over this beat. And so, so down the, down the line, I was on the, the curvy couch, if you will, with uh, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, who used to be the host, one of the hosts of Fox and Friends. And she said, you know, Cheryl... I have a question for you, and maybe it's a good story. She said, I, I know all these women, these amazing mothers, they're, they're educated, they have, they're smart, they're sharp, and, but they decided to take a few years off and, and have their kids, you know, and now they're trying to, you know, maybe get back to work. It's time to go back to work. The kids are bigger, and these are professional women, and they can't get interviews. They can't get a job. They can't get in the door. I mean, they are just shut out of you know, the workforce basically. And I was like, you know, and I didn't know the answer. I had no idea. I'd never looked at it. So I started doing a lot of research on it. And at the same time, I'd been talking to Random House about uh, publishing a book on my, on my, based on my hiring segments on Fox. And the idea just kind of gelled and it, it, the publisher said, that's it. This is an ignored part of America. This is an ignored group of Americans who are getting left behind when everybody else is you know, getting jobs back and getting promotions and raises again. So that was one part of it. The other piece of it is that I, I'm, I'm not married and I don't have children, but I was raised by a comeback mom. 
So my, my mother, um, you know, my parents divorced when I was four. And so my mom had to go back to work. She knew she would go back eventually. She wanted to just like these other mothers I'm talking about wanted to be home with me when I was little. And so she goes back into the workforce, but she was a, in my mind, an example of what a really positive, effective working mother can be. She, she worked very hard. She was dedicated to her job. She loved what she did when she came home at night. And on the weekends, that was our time together. And she really wanted to have a career and be a great mom. And she did both. And, you know, there was this stigma I found so much of the time, just in talking to people and the interviews I started to do to research the book, that there was this stigma that, especially among women, that, if you leave your kids at home and, you, and you're work, you're a working mom, your kids are suffering, yeah, or your kids are losing out, or they're going to be disadvantaged, or kind they're not going to do well. A certain yeah. amount of guilt, actually, right? Right. Like there was yeah. all this, and that was the main theme of the moms I interviewed was they felt um, guilty. They felt, you know, horrific for, and and in the book I talk about this you need to feel the opposite because you're, you're leading by example, your kids, you're showing them who they can be when they grow up. You're giving them a gift. You know, don't think of it as they're suffering. No, you're, you're showing them that what their careers, because they're going to grow up. They're kids now, but they're going to be adults. You know, who do you want that adult to be? What is the size of the, the problem here? I mean, how many mothers are uh, at home wanting to go back to work and having a hard time doing it? Do you have a kind of a a sense of the, the problem? Not on a percentage basis or a, uh, I mean, I can tell you, I looked at things that you, you know, you probably see in the headlines, especially recently, <clears throat> the pay gap. Yeah. You know, women still, women are still making, you know, on average about 74, 75 cents to the dollar of what men make. That was a very real statistic that still, even two years ago when I was putting, started to put the book together, um, that's a real thing. Um, and then also the fact that, um, you know, there are more women at home than men, there's, but, but a big piece of that, of course, is the child component. That a lot of times it is the woman that stays home. But, but do you um, have a sense of how many successfully do come back and and restart successful careers? Is there a sense of you know what proportion of the potential would be, or how many millions of people that might be? I can't imagine it would be. I would say of the active workforce right now, if you were to break it down, so, so cut it in half, right? So cut out half of the American workforce, say that that's, that that's women. And I'm, it's, it's, it it's might be close. It's, cl- it's roughly, yeah. I think, divided now. I think it's really, it, a lot of that was necessity. Now both parents have to work or both members of the couple have to work. You know, mm-hmm. well, there's just, that's just the reality of where we, what we make as Americans and what jobs are like today. It's not, we're not where we were in, 2006. But, um, but I would say if you took, if you took half of those women and then you said that basically of a 50 percent, 50% say that, you know, 25% are at, you know, actively have children at home. So they're working mothers with kids that are under the age of 18 at home. If that was 25%, I would say I would take out another 10 to 15%. You're left with 10% on the workforce. That might be the mom that I'm talking about that successfully did it. That is, you know, that that went either went home or is successfully a working parent, or that went that went home and came back. I'm sorry, but I would and say 25 percent, or or I would say at least 25 percent of the American workers out there are working mothers. Yes, but still, you're talking about millions of potential people here who want to come back. Of course. Of and course. what has been the reaction to the book since it's been out for about a year or so? 
You know, it came out at a time where that discussion was really hitting home. Um, at the time, you know, the book actually uh, came out in, in May, actually May of last year, May 6th. So the book has been out. To, we're just hitting my one-year anniversary with the book. And it was amazing because it was the conversation that was already happening. It was about workplace equality. Sheryl Sandberg had been, she had written her book and talked mm-hmm. about, you know, being a working mother. And companies were starting to really understand especially the banks, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but, you know, banks, technology firms, law firms are really starting to see the value of getting this group in the workforce back into the workforce. Um, if you think about it, a woman who's got, she's a multitasker, she's on a schedule, she's got to get home, she's, you know, so she's going to be motivated to complete the tasks of the day. You know, the women that I interviewed, I interviewed hundreds, and these women were, inc- I mean, it, I thought I was doing pretty well. Well, you know, I'm a national network news anchor and you know, I'm in New York. I'm interviewing all these fam- you know, famous people. But yeah, I, I felt, you know, <laughs> like a slump after talking to all these women, <laughs> you know, because they were just amazing. They're like, well, I get up and I do this and I'm on my emails and then I've got a few things, to, you know, and then I'm on the conference call and then I'm commuting and the kids are dropped off and they're fed. And I'm like, oh <laughs> my God. A lot of multitasking there. Yeah. Yeah. So Very there, good. but, but what it, but all of those things that we already knew about moms and working moms, companies figured out that that helped the bottom line yes. because these women, it's Credit Swiss actually did a full-blown study. And I did a big story on them last year. I did a whole package and interviews and stuff. They, they had this program called Real Returns. It specifically targets women at home that want to re-enter the workforce. It's a training program. It's like an adult internship, if you will. Wow. And the program, the, but, but why would Credit Suisse spend money on this program and spend all these resources and everything? because it made sense for the bottom line, because they found that, that actually it was a profitable move to get this type of worker into the door versus maybe the 26-year-old that's like, oh my God, it's 3.30, I gotta go to happy hour, I gotta go, you know, <laughs> deal with this tomorrow. Right. Yeah. You we, know what I'm saying? So it, it's yeah. mm-hmm. Very, we're gonna go take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this hour is Cheryl Cassoni. Uh, her book is called The Comeback, How Today's Moms Re-Enter uh, the Workplace Successfully. And you can uh, see more about it at her website, which is CherylCassoni.com, spelled C-A-S-O-N-E. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. 
Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Cheryl Cassoni. Uh, she is an anchor at Fox Business Network and also the author of a book called The Comeback, How Today's Moms Re-Enter the Workplace Successfully. Welcome back to the show, Cheryl. Thank you. What are some of the myths that uh, mothers at home have about how difficult it is to get back in the workforce and, and what's the reality instead of the myth? Well, I mean, I think the myth we just talked about is, is still pretty prevalent that my kids are going to suffer if I go back to work. Um, I'm a bad mother um, if I go back to work. Um, you know, this is, I'm doing them a disservice, all of which are just myths and not true. We talked about that. I think another myth is that, um, that they have nothing to offer. You know, the women that I interviewed, the, the women I interviewed did this journey. They made this transition from home back into the workplace, but all of them said, uh, there's one woman that summed it up really well. She said, you know, when I was interviewing for a job, I remember thinking to myself, they would be doing me such a big favor if they would hire me. And she's like, and then I got the job and I started to go and I went to work every day and I realized I was doing them the favor mm-hmm. by the by the job that I was doing for them. Um, because of the experience know, she had. Now, she brought a lot more to the job than she almost gave herself credit for. Is that what you're saying? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, you know, it, it's, these women don't give themselves the credit and they're very nervous in the interview process and they're not sure how to approach, especially that gap on the resume, which there's, and I go through this in the book, there's many ways on your resume to use the experiences that you had while at home and get that onto the resume. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's not easily done, but it's, it can be done. And how about getting how to, skills, getting skills up? Because that would often be, particularly if you're in a technology field or something that's fast moving and changing all the time. And if you've yeah. been out for five years, how do you kind of close the skills gap? Are you supposed to do online education or how do you close that gap? It, well, it depends on what your chosen profession is. If it's accounting, if it's real estate, if it's anything to do with software programming, absolutely. You're going to have to go and, and do online coursework or or tutoring or something to get yourself back up. You know, one of the things that you, I tell women if they're still at home and thinking about this is, you know, maintain your certifications, maintain your memberships and, um, in groups that are associated with your industry. And then now that you've got Twitter, follow those groups and those companies on Twitter and get involved in those conversations. So you're kind of in the know, if you know what I mean. But as far as technology and stuff goes, that's, that definitely has to be uh, education. But then again, a lot of these companies now, and again, it really depends on what you do, but in general, you can keep up with technology through smartphones. I think that that does keep us a lot more engaged than it used to. We're much more digitally savvy, even us old folks, even the, you know, my parents are like retired and they love that iPad. They love, you know, all of that does keep your mind going and focused on the, the, 
you know, where technology is going. But in particular, and I think I go back to the field of like medicine, real estate, everything, technology. And if you've been out for 10 years, you're going to have to. Um, now, some companies, but some companies will train, though. They will train you. What, what role does social media play in getting a job, kind of getting back into the swing of things when you've been out for a while? Well, social media has become the way to network. You know, it used to be that you had to go to like that Holiday Inn conference room and there was like stale cheese cubes and bad wine. And, you know, yeah. you had to like hand out your business card. But it doesn't work like that anymore. Everything now is online. Every People are dating online. They're, you know, making new friends online. They're forming running groups online. It's the same for the, for the work environment now. Everything is online, whether it's Meetup or it's Twitter, or it's LinkedIn, which is, I, there's a whole chapter on LinkedIn in the book. LinkedIn is huge as a networking uh, site, and as, that's where you really need to be, is, is LinkedIn, and build that profile, you know, and I go through all these examples of what that profile should look like, because LinkedIn is absolutely crucial to um, getting in touch and re getting you know, re reaching out and, and re-engaging with your work community. Um, you can't, sending in a resume doesn't work anymore. Yes. Is it often a problem if you're older, you're, you're like 40s or mid-40s, and you're being interviewed by somebody in their 20s, you think like you're, you're they're supposed to be their mother, that kind of thing, and there's been yeah. movies about these things. Is that a common uh, barrier to people getting rehired? You know, I'll be honest with you. I, I did an event, a speaking engagement out in Silicon Valley a few months ago, and that came up that in particular when it comes to, to Silicon Valley and the tech world out there, um, it's a young world. You know, they value youth. They value 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds from MIT. That, that is a true statement. But on the other hand, what you bring when you are somebody in your late 30s or 40s, and that's most of the women that the book was written for, they're looking to get back into the workforce. What you bring is maturity and experience and patience. I mean, don't underestimate the value of emotional intelligence when you're interviewing for a job and you're operating in a workplace because emotional intelligence, especially when you're sitting down in an interview, will tell you that this person may be sitting there and like, you know, on their phone and being arrogant and acting like, well, so, you know, who are you old lady or whatever, you know, they might do that. <laughs> they might act like that. Yes. You've got to have the wherewithal to know there's a lot more deeper happening underneath just with that person. And, and there's got to be a way to make a connection and you can do that. But I will tell you real quick a story. Another one of the moms I interviewed had that experience where she um, ended up on a team with like all 25 year olds and she was 35. And, but the boss said, I really think that you're going to be a good fit because you can kind of guide them and lead them. You've got ex life experience. These 25 year olds just don't have, she ended up being the boss. Mm -hmm. she ended up managing and becoming the team leader and the manager. And she got like a managing director title of that. And she really did great because of that experience and that, you know, don't discount um, maturity. You know, some we, of the experience is coming from raising the kid, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Now you have a, 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 you know, we won't go through all 20, but you have a 20 question quiz uh, people should answer if they know they're going to go back and just tell us kind of what that process is about is answering that quiz to know if you're well suited to, to go back to work. Well, I think the questions are just based on, you know, really taking a look at your, and I talk about this in the book as well. You really need to take a good look at your life presently and what is feasible for you, whether it's what kind of financial commitment, you know, are you, what, what does you, 
What does the job need to pay? What kind of time do you have? What do you want to do? Do you want to work out of your home? A lot of women still want to work out of their home and have a home-based business, which is challenging, but it can be done. Um, you know, do you, what's your car and your child care and everything, all those things, you know, to add up. I mean, all those questions are kind of, kind of getting you on track to kind of get ready for that reality so that when you do go out and you start to do job hunting, you're a hundred percent confident and calm in your own skin because you know what your life is going to be like once you go back to work, but you, it's the prep work that you have to do to prepare for that. Do, do some women take a job too soon as they're kind of desperate to get back in and they have a, a bad match because they just want to get something? I think sure, but I think the more common thing that I discovered in my research is that women always take less money than they should. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I saw that. I saw that so much. I heard that story over and over. Because what happens is, you know, you, you they're going to lowball you, thinking you're vulnerable because, again, um, well, you've got the gap on your resume, and you know, so they and so the, any employer is going to try and lowball you no matter what. I mean, that's just life, right? I mean, that's just life and workland, but. You know, they, they would always take a lesser salary because they didn't think they deserved it. And they would find out later that people that had less experience with them who, who had, hadn't left the workforce were making much more money. And they, that was that, they resented that fact. So that's, that's where I say. And also, you've got to make sure you, you can negotiate up front what the time commitment of the job is going to be. Like, if, if somebody says to you in an interview, yeah, we work, we work 24-7 weekends. We're really dedicated. We're, you know, we're building this company, and it's going to be great someday, and maybe we'll go public and blah, blah, blah. Is that really the place for you? Do mm -hmm. you really want to be a working parent or a working mother especially, managing two kids or three kids or four kids, and then having a job that expects you to be there 24-7? You can't do that. And if you hear that type of language in the interview, walk out. It's not right. Yeah, it's hard for some people to do that, but yeah, in many cases that's true, particularly in the technology field. You're always on call. I mean, I suppose you have to get a job where you can say, no, I'm off the clock, and, and you can't call me in the middle of the soccer game or something, right? I mean, you have to kind of set limits. Right, right. I mean, I think that, you know, you have to set limits for yourself, but it's not so much for yourself, it's for your kids, you know? And also, too, I say, you better love it, or at least like it. You know, you really got to think that, because remember, once you get that job, that's it. You're leaving your kids at home for this. So if you can love it, great, but at least like it. You know, How does it work possible. economically? Say you have young kids and you need child care or you have to put them in child care. You have to earn enough to pay for more than just the child care to make it worthwhile. Is that right? I mean, there's some economics in making this all work as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the part of the conversation where you have to really sit down, I mean, and, and have a frank, you know, I, I call it me time or mom time or whatever, but you've got to sit down however long it takes and really map out what this is going to look like and what it's going to mean. And, and also, you know, most of the women I talked to, not all, but most had pretty supportive husbands. And so the husbands were like, look, you know, we'll make this work. I know you want to do this. Or some of them were like, yep, we need the money. We'll figure it out. Whether they were leaning on family members or there was a daycare or you know, the, the school had a place for the kids, you know, whatever, whatever they worked out in their own family system. But, um, yeah, you got to work out the cost. And also, more importantly, not just the child care, but the cost of the commute. Yeah. You know, we, we live in the New York area where, you know, a normal commute is can be two hours each way. I mean, I know people that do that. So and the cost of it as well as the time. The, right. the cost and the time of and. Just the yeah, all of those things really add up. You have to really be aware of that. And so, how about for single mothers where there isn't anybody at home? 
what are the economics of that? I mean, they, they need a job to some extent if they're not living on welfare or something. So is it a different calculus right. when there's nobody else? How does, how does that work? Well, I mean, unfortunately, that means that you're looking at, you know, the cheapest child care possible or, again, leaning on friends or, you know, reaching out through the school to figure out a way that, to where maybe your children can stay at school later or, you know, after school programs. I mean, all of that kind of comes. Every story is different. There's really no one answer for what you're asking because every family has a different economic situation. And in particular for single mothers, they're also dealing with the fact that they've got to support their children. So they have to work. You know, I was a latchkey kid. I mean, and I'm not advocating this. I realize this is taboo to say in 2017, but you know, I, I, I had keys to my home and after school I went home, I was six and I watched yep. TV and stayed in the house and, and I played with my friends a little bit and, and right in my little, you know, cul-de-sac until mom came home, you know, that was, but now you say that and people freak out, you know, a six year old <laughs> at home by themselves. I'm like, well, you know, honestly, <laughs> particularly for a single mother. Yes. Yeah. But Hey, you know what? I was, again, I was raised by a single mother. I was a good kid. I was responsible. I was a mature kid for my age. I was an only child and, um, she, she knew she could trust me and, and, and I was a trustworthy child. I didn't, do anything wrong. I didn't get into trouble after school. I just, I was just accustomed to being alone Yeah, and, and entertaining myself. So I did. You know? <laughs> All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Cheryl Cassoni. Uh, she is an anchor at Fox Business Network and also the author of the book, The Comeback, How Today's Moms Re-Enter the Workplace Successfully. And you can find out about her at her website, which is CherylCassoni.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Cheryl Cassoni who is an anchor at Fox Business Network and also the author of the book we just discussed called The Comeback, How Today's Moms Re-Enter the Workplace Successfully. Welcome back to the show, Cheryl. Thank you. Let's go through some of the key economic issues going on today. Let's start with health care. Uh, so the health care debate kind of came to a head and then it fell apart in mid-March. They're trying to uh, put it back together again. What do you think is going to end up coming out of the Congress as some kind of repeal and replace for health care? Oh. 
Well, you know, I'll give you the latest uh, reports from Fox News, um, and we've got pretty good source on this, that we may have a vote uh, Wednesday on it on the House floor. I, You know, Maria had actually talked about this yesterday uh, on her show on Sunday morning. Um, you know, they're saying to each other, they've got the votes. They had some members missing last week. One person's had, like, a death in the family. Somebody else had, like, surgery. You know, there was different reasons. But basically that they think they've got at this point, it looks like they've got the votes um, on the house side, right? On the They're house trying. side. And so yes. what happened is under underneath all of this is that, you know, the freedom caucus, they're the ones, the ultra conservatives who the last time around said, this bill is not, this is Obamacare light. You didn't do what we promised our constituents, you know, in the election we were going to do, which is repeal it, replace it. Um, you're not even doing enough to, you know, they're just saying it was just, it was, too, it went too easy on the overall law. So the worry now is that the moderates, the moderate Republicans, now that the Freedom Caucus members have agreed, they're on board, they've gotten their way, some of the moderates are going to kind of waver. But so far, we that was the worry, but so far we haven't seen that. So what is um, it going to look like? Just roughly, what would, the repeat, what would the replacement look like, having been revised from what fell apart earlier? Well, you know, I can go off kind of overreaching ideas that we know now, which is it's definitely going to give more rights back to states. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to give a lot more power back to the states um, because every state is different. Some states, you know, are, are using the exchanges, some aren't. Some states are, are heavily involved in Medicaid, some are not. I mean, it just depends. So, you know, they're, they're still going to give out funding, but the states are going to have a lot more power in what parts of the law that they want to participate in. In particular, think about those 10, you know, uh, essential conditions. That were, yeah, yeah, those tens of essential conditions. Well, states can say, after they get government approval, that they can remove themselves from that. Like, and, you know, the argument was, which made sense, does a 50-year-old, you know, guy from Arkansas need, you know, maternity coverage? Like, well, he doesn't. Why is he paying for yeah. that? So I understood the argument. So that's one thing. Pre-existing conditions was the big thing. And it looks like they figured it out to where people with pre-existing conditions will be protected. Um, but shared risk pools? Is that the way it's going to work? Um, I, I believe so, but they're going to change the ratios from what I understand. So like right now it's like three to one. So like, or one, I guess say one to three. Okay. So if, if a younger person is paying a hundred bucks a month and I wish that was really being paid everywhere, but a hundred bucks a month, then the most that an elderly person could pay would be 300. The ratio was one to three, right? Yes. Now they're going to make it one to five. So, so the cost it, for elderly would go up a lot because they're, they're uh, using more healthcare. They're using more health care. And so yeah. that's basically saying, look, the people that are using more need to pay a little bit more. That language is in there. <laughs> Whether it, like, even makes it to the bill on Wednesday, who knows? I mean, uh -huh. it, ch it changes every second. But um, those are the overall arching themes, I would say. Um, uh, some states like New York, as you know, Medicaid is like, you know, Medicaid, some, some of these Medicaid insurance programs are better than, like, private plans. Yeah. So that's it just depends on the state. The yeah. So uh, um, uh, President Trump talks about uh, uh, having competition across state lines. Well, there's about a third of the uh, district counties that have no competition. There's only one insurance company and some al almost have none. How would they engender competition amongst insurance companies to want to go back into markets? Well, I mean, that's a really good question because what we've always, and, and this wasn't in the last one, as you remember, I remember screaming in my office when I heard this because like, you got to be kidding me. Like no states, you know, no, you know, interstate competition. Give me a break. But at this point, I don't 
think that's going to be in there. If the pre- just because the president said it doesn't mean that it's true. It's really happening. Happen. Right. But right. a lot of times, what I've learned that he does, which is kind of funny in my opinion, is he'll throw things out there because he's basically throwing a verbal shot across the bow at people to go, "You need to do this." <laughs> so when he says that, it's probably because he's angry, like I think I was, or I was when he didn't. They didn't put that in the last bill, like you know. Oh my God, can you? Imagine? I mean, living in New York, and I would, I would go back to Blue Cross California in a heartbeat. That was a great health insurance plan, yes. you know, and it was, and it. I had the same insurance coverage living in New York that I had in California. I mean, so, but we'll so, see. We'll see. Right, so let's say you're right. It goes, gets through the House. Would that mm-hmm. bill that, that both the moderates and the Freedom Caucus agreed to, could that get through the Senate uh, with the current filibuster rules? Well, I think so. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to cage. I, I, I honestly don't. I don't. I think so. I think so. But here's the thing. The bill will change again before we get to that step. Yes. And that's when I say, like, I can't tell you, oh, yeah, it's going to go through. I don't know what it's going to be. We don't even know what it's going to be out of the house, Jordan. And then we have to figure out when that goes to the. So I don't know. I don't know. I'd be an idiot if I sat here and said, oh, yeah, I can totally tell you what's going to happen. It is possible. It is possible. Uh, so now let's talk about an even bigger one, which is tax cuts. Now we've got the proposal, the, the basic outline of tax cuts as far as lowering the rates, getting rid of a lot of deductions, getting rid of state and local uh, deductibility, which is high tax states wouldn't be so happy about, lowering yeah. business tax rates. Wh- what is your outlook as to what, whether that's going to move through the House and then if that could get through the Senate? Just even along those broad outlines without getting all the details. Well, the thing about tax reform is that unlike other pieces of legislation, from what I understand, and I am not a congressional expert, but from what I understand from the logistics of this, when when it finally does get to the Senate, tax reform does, they really can't jam it through like they did with, like, say, nominations and other things. Mm -hmm. They can't do that because of the rules in the Senate, which are different. I think because it, it affects there's a treasure. I can't remember. I'll, I'll you think can't about do it, it as a bit. reconciliation, is basically. Right. Concerned. Thank right. you. You can't do it as a reconciliation because right. the rule again never covered politics, but now I do as a business person. Um, but with but what I do think is there's going to be a definite. I think what you're going to see is the to your point about the elimination of state and local taxes. I think you're going to see a lot of very powerful Congress members and senators are going to fight that big time mm-hmm. because it really does hurt their states, really yeah. hurts the higher earning states, the North. And these are powerful states. But it's so a big I think you're gonna, for, it's if, a, yeah, it's a, have that's going to be a thing elsewhere. Let, let's just say for theoretical purposes that what uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and so on have proposed happens. I know it's not exactly going to be like, but just say it happens. How do you think that would impact the economy? Would we get the kind of three to three and a half percent growth that President Trump's talking about, or is that a, a mirage? Um, wait, repeat the question. I'm sorry. If, if it happened, if up. what they proposed went into law, would it have the economic impact they're talking about, which is creating oh. three and a half percent economic growth? Well, okay. This, this is again, something that an economic forecaster would can say yes or no, depending on their school of thought. In my personal opinion, I do believe that if you give it a decade, if you give it 10 years, 
Yes, because if you grow, I, I, I don't think 3%, I think 4% growth. If they were able to get the tax plan as proposed through, and then that, and, and, and you went, you jumped ahead to 10 years, it would pay for itself. It, it, it would be, I hate to say it, probably revenue neutral, because all, think of all the, the money that's overseas that would come back. It's, we're, over, we're talking over a trillion dollars, right? Yeah. The U.S. Mm-hmm. companies are holding overseas. I saw one estimate last week that S&P earnings would jump by a buck 34 per share. S&P 500 company earnings, that on a, on a quarterly basis, you would get a boost of that much per company because of the fact that they were getting these tax breaks. You know, yeah. every percent that you cut off the corporate tax rate equals millions of dollars in saving and jobs. So all of that does stimulate the economy. Mnuchin knows that. Gary Cohn especially knows that. He looked like he was about to... I've never seen somebody so giddy in my life presenting (laughs) a tax reform proposal. The Um, question always is, say company profits go up dramatically like that because they pay less in taxes, how would they use it? Would they expand? Would they buy back stock? Would they raise dividends? How would it create economic growth in the best of circumstances where their profits go way up? I believe, especially right now, it is, makes good sense and good business sense to get on board with what the nation voted for, and that is they want to see manufacturing and jobs and productivity back into the United States. And I think that you know, all these CEOs that have been – but remember, all these CEOs have been into that White House left yes. and right. Every industry, whether it's steel or technology or banking. I mean, there's a reason that all these conversations have been having under Trump. It's, it wasn't just a photo op because they were all coming in saying, here's what we want to see. And we promise you, yes, if you cut down the corporate tax rate, if you cut down the penalties for us bringing back, you know, the billion dollars that we've got sitting in Ireland, if you do that for us, this is the conversation that it's already happened. Then yes, we, we will, we will keep our work. We'll bring, we'll bring jobs and everything home. It's not that American companies don't want to do business in America. You know, they're not jerks. They, but they can't, they can't afford it. They, it, it doesn't make business sense. You can't have a business in America. It, it's not the only the taxes. Regu- it's, it's regulations as well. It's yeah. the regulatory burden as well. Combination. Right, right. So that's, that's market, exactly what they all said. The stock market's anticipated as though this is all going to happen. The tax, you know, big tax cuts, uh, deregulation, infrastructure. What if it doesn't get through the Senate? None of this happens. Are we in for a big fall in the stock market because all the things that it's gone up on would be disappointed? I don't know if you would see. I would. I wouldn't say big fall. And I don't know what you mean by that, but I would say you would see a fall. I don't think it's a big fall though. No, because a lot of the a lot of the numbers that we've seen, a lot of the boost we've seen to earnings and everything has been based on as er, is, is earnings. I mean, we do this is earnings seasons right now. So yes. a lot of the things that we're saying, companies are doing better. The economy is improving in general, and and that's globally as well. Um, so so no, I think I don't. Yes, you would see a hit, but it would be a small one. I think overall we're still on track. We've had people come on the business network and say, you know, I predict a recession if tax reform doesn't. Well, you know, that's a little extreme, and I really have a problem with those guests that come on shows and say that kind of garbage because they're just trying to, you know, get their fifteen seconds, and you <laughs> yes. know, it's just it's it's be it's, as extreme it's, as possible. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sorry, but how many people that do you know that it can actually predict a stock market? Like, yeah. really? I mean, not, so not many of those experts. <laughs> no, all, so many experts that come on have been so wrong. So right. I really kind of look, look six months later to see what they actually <laughs> see what happens. It's always good. Right. 
Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Cheryl Cassoni, a Fox Business uh, anchor and author of the book, The Comeback, How Today's Moms Reenter the Workplace Successfully. You can find out more at her website, CherylCassoni.com, which is spelled C-A-S-O-N-E. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Cheryl Cassoni. She is an anchor at Fox Business Network and author of a book called The Comeback, How Today's Moms Reenter the Workplace Successfully. Welcome back to the show, Cheryl. Thank you. We talked about the stock market, the tax cuts, healthcare a little bit. Let's talk about the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve raised rates uh, one time this year. Uh, they're talking about more. How many more times do you think the Fed may raise rates in 2017? Oh, I think we're going to get two, maybe three more. I would say two. You know, they always, you know, we always kind of, you know, we think there's going to be, you know, I, I would say two more times this year. If, and, if and do you think that's the right question. policy? Do you think the Fed should be raising Faster or slower? I mean, what's happening is that what people pay on loans and credit cards and car loans is going up because the prime rate's going up. But what they're earning on bank savings accounts and CDs is not going up. So the spread is widening for banks. Um, Do you think the Fed's making the right move by raising another twice or so this year? Yeah, no, I do. I do because, you know, the Fed has got to step out of – I don't want to say step out of the economy. That's not the right term. But they need to get out of the way. I mean, you need to – you know, we have for so many years, the Fed, I, I feel, was artificially propping up the market and mm-hmm. propping up the economy. And at some point, you've got to let reality settle in, economic reality, job reality. And then you can just deal with it. It's almost like, you know, you've got to have that conversation with that friend and things are going to come out. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you got to do it because otherwise, you know, you're just you're operating in la la land. And that's what we we're doing under the Fed for all those years. Mm-hmm. And around the world as well. I mean, their rates are even lower than ours, <laughs> dramatically negative in many cases, like in Europe right. and Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another one I want to ask you about is there are these populist movements around the world. In France, we've got the election coming up with Marine Le Pen this coming weekend. Uh, we've got populist movements. Britain kind of led to Brexit. I mean, you could say Trump is populist to some extent. Uh, Turkey, uh, there's around the world. Is this gaining strength or is this going to peak and, and, and not gain strength, the whole populism movement? 
No, I think it's going to even gain more strength. I mean, I've, you know, I've never seen, I'm sure you haven't either, a country that is so divided and polarized. It's, it's, it's sad. Um, at the same time, though, you know, the, the, the left media cannot continue to pretend like November didn't happen. And they can't continue to act like, you know, he's not the president. And, you know, not, I, well, nobody I know, you know, voted for Trump. It was a bunch of stupid hillbillies in Arkansas. If I hear that one more time, <laughs> I'm going to punch my New York friends. I really am. Because, you know what? I'm sorry, but there's an entire nation out there that is frustrated. And that's where the populist movement has come from and that sense of nationalism and protectionism. Now, can, this, can the protectionism go too far? Yes. Are there instances like on 60 Minutes that was highlighted last night where it's gone too far with those kids in in, uh, Somalia? Yes, 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 yes. But overall, there's not, I have no problem with saying America first. I have no problem. I'm so sick. I I agree with him on NATO. I agree with him when it comes to China. I agree about NAFTA, which I thought was brilliant, by the way. We're going to just get out of it. And of course, Canada and Mexico freak out. And now (laughs) he's like, well... I'll renegotiate. (laughs) He's a negotiator for sure. Yeah, the guy is not stupid, and the populism was brought about because so many people felt ignored. And like again, you're a hardworking American. You're a dentist. You work your five days a week or six, and you go home, and you're trying. You're paying your taxes, and you're putting your kids through college, which is overpriced. And you just get pissed because you're like, God, you know, wait a minute, I am busting my hump and I'm paying all this money to the government and they're giving it away to Pakistan, you know, in the form of a grant or all the waste that you see bridges to nowhere. Like, you know, we've, we've been covering this for 20 years as journalists and now people have said, I've had it. I get it. I understand it. I get that. A lot of my colleagues in this, in this market, in this, in this, in the journalism market or whatever you want to say in, in New York, don't get it. And I have these conversations with my friends all the time in other networks. Like, you really need to pay attention to what's so happening. You're missing it. You know? How is it different covering Trump since you've covered uh, politics and the markets before Trump and after now? How is mm-hmm. covering Trump different than what it was before under the Obama years, which is pretty much where you were the rest of the time? Right. Well, I mean, I you know, this is my... 17th year in journalism, I want to say. And um, I, you know, I look at like the different presidents with, with President Obama. Um, well, first off, I mean, you know, you, you ask him to answer a question and it gives you, you know, five paragraphs, whereas at least Donald Trump gives you two sentences and he moves yeah. on. So we, we do appreciate that. Um, but I would say, you know, with President Obama, he was an ideologue. And I think that I always believed that his heart was in the right place. Um, as far as things that he wanted to accomplish, he wanted people to have health care. He wanted people to be able to go to school and be safe and all those things, you know. But I think he made some serious mistakes. He pulled out of Afghanistan too soon, I believe. We left a mess behind in the Middle East. I think there was better ways to do that. His own generals told him he was making a mistake. Um, you know, and I look at, like, what happened with the markets and, of course, the o- like the overreaction. Yeah, did Wall Street banks do some bad things? Yes. 50% of Wall Street, though, is gone. Those jobs are gone. Those people are gone. They're doing other things. So what's left, you still have an investment community. You still have Wall Street. You know, Obama would, they just went way, 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 way too far, overreaching too many laws, too many regulations to where you're stifling. You you need a banking system. And in my opinion, Obama went too far. So you think some of that will be rolled back? back. You you think a lot of Dodd-Frank will be rolled back then? Oh, yeah. 
yeah, 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 yeah. And Elizabeth Warren is doing nothing, in my opinion, to, you know, boost the Democrats' argument that, you know, people, the Consumer Protection Bureau, that people need to be protected from the evil banks. Well, evil banks don't want to pay millions of dollars in fines again. They don't they don't want to have to lay off 10,000 employees again. Banks aren't, they're businesses, but they're not idiots, you know, and you've got some good leadership now in, in our U.S. banks. Jamie Dimon, I think, is a great example of that. I want to talk about the retail investor a little bit. Uh, a lot of them have been putting money into index funds, kind of passive as opposed to active management. Do you think that's a good idea, or do you think it's better for people to get more involved and be actively trading and do actively managed mutual funds? I don't like the idea of active trading, and I really don't like the idea of active mutual funds. But I will say I do like ETFs, I do like indexing, and I do like you know diversity. Um, you know, I'm a little more heavy in overseas than most of my friends, but I've got a little more tolerance for risk than most of my friends, or you know, people. And I do my friends' 401ks and stuff. But you know, I I do think that it's good to you know take the top ten companies in technology and buy that index. You know, take the top 10 pharma names because those change and buy that index. I like that because you're betting on winners. Very good. Um, you were talking a little bit about how the the, uh, the the viewing audience is so split these days. It's almost like people are watching what they agree with. <laughs> there's like a Fox world and an MSNBC world and there's nothing in between. Is there anything that could bridge that gap so people are actually thinking of themselves as Americans as opposed to left or right? I think most Americans are moderate. <laughs> I do. I think most Americans are moderate and they're middle of the road. And I think that the extreme right and the extreme left, and I'm not talking, you know, we're not, our networks are not extreme left. Or, we're trying to cover the story. We may have different points of view or have different, you know, different opinions ourselves of what we think should happen in the political world. But I think that at the end of the day, most Americans are moderate and they just want to hear, you know, voices of reason and they want news, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that, I think for the most part, but you know, that's, that's about all I can say about that. It just seems so extreme. You just see so extreme and, and you see this in the streets where you have demonstrations on one side against the other and, you know, potential violence and so on, even with people speaking up, uh, it just seems like the everything's gotten into a higher pitch than it had been before. I think it has, but I don't. I don't think that you can blame the media for that. And I don't, you know. And we are not fake news. And you know. And yes. I don't think that you know we're covering the story. I mean, we, you know, I, one person said to me, "Oh, you work for Fox? Yeah, you guys got Donald Trump elected." I'm like, "No, <laughs> we didn't. Believe me. You know, the the American people had had enough with." I, obviously the mainstream Republican party and they <laughs> voted for somebody completely different who then America voted for over Hillary Clinton, who I actually liked very much and respected as a, a woman and respected as a, um, a secretary of state. She was, a, I thought she was a very good secretary of state. Obama yeah. should have listened to her more, but <laughs> Americans said that's, that's, this is our that's choice. They chose, you know? So, and then all this polarization, you know, it's like, it's like there is a tone deaf, Thing that's happening in the country, but but you cannot blame the media for that. It's that I think all of these people are finally finding their voice again. I think yes. this election really made you think about what do I care about? What do I want to see? What do I want? And people yeah, are expressing great. that. Great. I want tax reform. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have to go. Unfortunately, uh, my guest this hour has been Cheryl Cassoni. 
Uh, she is the author of the book, The Comeback, How Today's Moms Re-Enter the Workplace Successfully. We also talked about all kinds of other things. You can see her at her website as well, which is Cheryl Cassoni, spelled C-A-S-O-N-E dot com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, Cheryl. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.